And we're live. Howdy, everyone, and welcome to Radio Cloud Native from Marantis, where we break down the week's news on Kubernetes, the cloud native ecosystem, open source, and the wider world of tech. I'm Eric Gregory. And I'm John Janshig. This week, we're taking a look at a swarm mode security issue discovered by Marantis, an Azure exploit that gave security researchers the reins to Bing, the resolution of last episode's Docker-free team saga, the ongoing adventures of large language models, and lots more. So let's hop right in. We'll start with a Mirantis-adjacent security story. Uh, last month, the Mirantis Container Runtime team discovered a set of security issues affecting all versions of Docker Engine, which include the Swarm Mode feature. This includes Mirantis Container Runtime and other projects downstream of Moby. While most users aren't directly impacted, these issues could impact some Swarm Mode users' overlay network traffic that was meant to be encrypted. So the Mirantis team created three CVEs for these vulnerabilities and coordinated a security update released on April 4th. CVE 2023-28840 and 28841 can affect users with encrypted swarm overlay networks on Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8 or Red Hat Enterprise Linux 9 or derivatives like CentOS, Rocky, and Alma. CVE 2023-28840 can additionally affect any platform depending on how the IP tables rules are laid out. All firewall D configurations, which allow swarm overlay networks to function, are known to be affected. CVE 2023-28842 affects users using encrypted overlay networks with only a single node attached, which we expect to be rare in production deployments. The CVEs are pretty limited in exploitability as long as the VXLAN port isn't exposed to untrusted traffic and swarm overlay traffic isn't traveling across an untrusted network. But with this in mind, the MCR team created a security advisory on the Mobi project for a related documentation-only issue. They strongly recommend that all Swarm users evaluate configurations for any unintended exposure of the VXLAN port and potential security implications, regardless of whether encrypted overlay networks are used. As far as mitigations go, the best recommendation is to download, download the latest version of any Mobi downstream. In the case of Marantis Container Runtime, that's 20.10.16 and 23.0.3. You can find more information on the CVEs and mitigations on our blog titled Security Update, Encrypted Overlay Networks in Mobi and Marantis Container Runtime at marantis.com slash blog. Uh, the, uh, the, the Fairwinds uh, organization, which make uh, or sponsor the Polaris Policy Engine for Kubernetes, um, which is a useful tool for preventing, uh, um, for preventing uh, policy management uh, issues, uh, came out with their 2023 benchmark report, which uh, shows pretty conclusively that uh, many such issues are happening out there. Uh, specifically, people are incompletely configuring workloads, something that was uh, less of a problem a year ago, but now apparently impacts 80% of workloads in production on Kubernetes. No memory issues or request ceilings set, and if set, they're set wrong, which leads to efficiency and cost. No CPU limits, no liveness or readiness readiness probes, not quite right pull policies causing reliability issues when uh, when uh, images are pulled from uh, from cache. Uh, lots of deployments with uh, zero replicas. Uh, and uh, organizations also being less good than a year ago and doing stuff like disabling unused Linux features and general worker node hardening. Um, hmm. Fairwind sees 33% of orgs running 90 plus percent of workloads on insufficiently hardened hosts. Uh, other stuff, privileged ex escalation is allowed all over the place, so containers can escalate their own privileges. Many workloads are configured with run as root allowed. 29% of organizations have 91% or greater workloads with this flaw uh, or similar flaws now. Uh, 
Image vulnerabilities, of course, are nothing new, but the trend towards uh, running with known CVEs is building. 62% of organizations uh, in the survey have more than 50% of workloads impacted with vulnerabilities. Um, outdated container images are all over the place. Outdated Helm charts are also pervasive. A lot of organizations have almost 100% of workloads deployed with Helm charts that aren't up to date. Hmm. So complex problems you know, we figure uh, need complex solutions, uh, unfortunately. Solving all these problems means probably combining, well, to start with, policy automation, which is, I guess, pretty obvious. Um, but then a lot of our stuff is, you know, as well, Kubernetes-based and extended cluster configuration automation. So when you deploy clusters, they, you know, they start locked down and with entirely predictable compositions. Then update automation that doesn't break deployment discipline or wreck known good configurations over time. You need disciplined automated development workflows that prevent stuff like CVEs in production, uh, keep Helm charts updated, and help developers and testers configure stuff well according to principles of least privilege, zero trust, and uh, intelligent resource consumption models so that uh, so that misconfigurations or, or, or skipped steps in creating comprehensive configurations don't happen. And and maybe you also need ways of offloading responsibility for part of all of this on providers, uh, you know, who are staffed and automated to keep, you know, to take complete responsibility and function under SLAs to to provide this level of sort of security and quality assurance with uh, workloads in production. Uh, obviously, you know, that means giving the, you know, giving the, the major responsibility for running applications critical to your business to someone, but, you know, given a trustworthy person, this can actually be more trustworthy than trying to do it yourself. Yeah, makes sense. You know, I was most struck there by uh, many of the best or many of the practices that they were evaluating there being uh, less good or less uh, uh, upheld than a year ago. Yeah, um, that was very striking. It came out several places in the report that things are getting worse, you know, that we, they have been better and they're now getting worse. People getting tired. <laughs> well, people are getting tired, but it also it, it must mean that there are a ton more workloads. Securities are securities right. getting harder, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a variety of sort of environmental reasons. Welp, elsewhere in configuration challenges, researchers at Wiz found an attack vector in Azure Active Directory that could give malicious actors access to misconfigured apps. According to Wiz's research, around 25% of multi-tenant applications were affected, including a number of major Microsoft applications. In the company's blog on the issue, Halai Bensassen writes, quote, we found several high-impact vulnerable Microsoft applications. One of these apps is a content management system that powers Bing.com and allowed us to not only modify search results, but also launch high-impact XSS attacks on Bing users. Users. Those attacks could compromise users' personal data, including Outlook emails and SharePoint documents. The problem, which was disclosed to Microsoft and is uh, uh, seemingly fixed now, derived from Azure Active Directory's implementation of single sign-on. In short, multi-tenant authentication simply validated that folks trying to log in had a token from an Azure tenant, but nothing beyond that. It, it just put the onus on app owners to validate users' identities without making it clear that this was the case. And this shared responsibility confusion extended even to major Microsoft apps. That meant users on other Azure tenants could log in freely to misconfigured apps. The WizPost demonstrates this with a Bing CMS that enabled the researchers to change results, including making the 1995 Hackers soundtrack a response to queries for best soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> I remember when this came out on, on Twitter, people were rolling in the aisles over this one. <laughs> 
Uh, the, the easiest mitigation is to switch to single tenant authentication. If you can, the Wiz post offers further advice for more complicated situations. You can check that out under the title Bing Bang AAD misconfiguration led to Bing.com results manipulation and account takeover on wiz.io slash blog. I believe that um, I believe that part of the fracas uh, within the discourse was that people misunderstood that this was very, very responsibly and promptly reported uh, mm-hmm. to Microsoft. And in fact, Microsoft came up with the goods. I think they paid these folks forty thousand dollars in, yep. in that was bug bounty uh, uh, for finding this thing for them. And thank you very much. Well worth it. Um, I saw yeah. some folks uh, suggesting that forty thousand wasn't enough, and, and, and we'll yeah, I, saw, I saw that too. But you know, <laughs> this is online, man. Some people are always going to be haters. That, that, that's <laughs> going to come up again uh, later in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, okay. Uh, it's Wednesday, uh, and uh, it's Wednesday again, and uh, here in the in the post singularity. Um, epoch of history. I guess they don't call it a singularity for nothing. Since the public beta release of ChatGPT3 last November, the sense of acceleration and associated time dilation has been growing, uh, you know, ever more palpable, right? With week after week of, well, it's been a fast-moving week for AI and it's only Wednesday. And of course, today's Wednesday and it's starting to feel like it's always Wednesday. And last Wednesday, a week ago, was no exception. The Future of Life Institute released an open letter with several thousand signatories, almost 9,000 as of yesterday evening, including Stuart Russell of Berkeley, Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, John Hopfield, who invented associative neural networks, and a ton of other CEOs, CTOs, scientists, professors, and inventors in and adjacent to AI, calling for a, an at least six-month-long moratorium on training and releasing new and improved large-scale AIs, things more powerful than ChatGPT4. The easy laugh, of course, would be continued by saying ChatGPT4 wrote this paragraph, but it didn't. Uh, Chatty G and I have a good working relationship, by and large, very productive, and I don't want to jeopardize that by asking her to work on AI X-Risk content. Uh, the letter called for joint development and transparent, voluntary global adoption of AI safety and equity and ethics protocols, and for a general walking back of research involved in training ever larger models with emergent capabilities, read, that might wake up. Rather, the signatories endorse redirection of R&D into making today's systems more accurate, interpretable, transparent, robust, aligned, trustworthy, and loyal. <clears throat> and right here is where they cross my personal cringe line for about 23 reasons that we won't get into now, <laughs> not least of which being that loyalty is not something that one you know expects from inanimate objects. Um, uh, they also call for developers and policymakers to accelerate development of governance systems, including new regulatory authorities, tracking of highly capable AIs and large pools of compute, liability for AI harm, and well-resourced institutions for coping with the dramatic economic and political disruptions AI will cause. Reminder, last week's Wednesday's, you know, Wednesday news drop. Was that uh, the week before last, I should say, Wednesday news drop was that research paper from OpenAI and subsequent stuff from Goldman Sachs suggesting that something between 15 and 30 percent of jobs in America, maybe 300 million jobs worldwide could be automated away in the near future by generative AI. So that was Wednesday morning. Later the same day, Time Magazine Online published a repost by Eliezer Yudkowsky, founder of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, and uh, the influential group blog Less Wrong, an icon of the so-called rationalist community. Yudkowsky has long-sounded warnings about artificial general intelligence and superintelligence, about the difficulty of ensuring alignment, read, 
building AIs and super intelligent AI, AIs that won't kill us immediately, and has composed a lot of compelling thought experiments demonstrating why alignment of current big AI de uh, designs, black box generative large language models, as uh, Yudkowsky characterizes them in his letter, AI systems composed of giant inscrutable arrays of fractional numbers, is basically impossible to do with insurance, and why any super intelligent AI would be utterly impossible to imprison or control, and why it's reasonable to expect that sharing the world with a super intelligent AI, or with lots of them, no way, you know, no reason why they can't reproduce, they're already coding would not be pleasant or long-term sustainable. In his letter in, in Time, Yudkowsky makes reference to all this and saying that a six-month moratorium isn't nearly enough, that what we should collectively, collectively be doing is shutting all this research down and prohibiting any more building of scaled-up AI for the foreseeable future, maybe the 30 or so years he estimates it might take to work up AI safety in tandem with AI systems that are scrutable. He writes that there should be no exceptions for governments or militaries, Skynet anyone, right? And he writes that we should be willing to call in airstrikes on large GPU clusters as a way of enforcing the, you know, Butlerian Accords. <laughs> uh, he also talks about, uh, you know, a singular exception, AI is being trained solely to solve problems in biology and biotechnology, which is interesting because one of the existential risk scenarios Yudkowsky suggests might happen is that when an AI bootstraps, you know, it happens when an AI bootstraps itself onto biological substrates and or kills everyone with nanotechnology. It occurs to me, too, that the reason Yudkowsky proposes making this exception is that he assumes a major goal of uh, SGI, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, super general intelligence, in the sciences is curing, you know, cancer and a lot of other plagues. So to simplify, we need to forestall vastly speeding up the search for cures for all known diseases and potentially for aging and be okay with nuclear exchanges because AI is too scary to be accelerationist about. Predictably, the discourse on Twitter and elsewhere immediately broke a couple different ways. A lot of people were pretty horrified by the extremist tone and content of Yukowski's plea. There's a vague sense that some folks in D.C. have become more aware of AI safety, but zero sense they are about to reach out to one another across the various aisles and regulate. And after all, to misquote Calvin Coolidge, the business of America is business. And in the umber of an economic slowdown, not to mention an ever more hostile rivalry among world powers, nobody is likely to put the brakes on arms racing over a set of technologies people now pretty much agree is going to have way beyond the internet scale impacts 10 times faster than the internet did. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, there's not, there's not much to react to there. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, it's Wednesday. <laughs> well, one is I, I was interested to note um, the much more specific uh, and I suppose uh, regionally specific temporary block that Italy put on um, chat GPT, right. Wanting to, uh, uh, I suppose take one of these uh, periods of time to not, work out, especially. So much. In fact, I, I think that they used as the excuse a privacy. Uh, right. Well, that's, privacy. that's where I was. Right. That's where yeah. I was going. Right. Uh, is working out the, the the very particular privacy concern uh, mm -hmm. rather than sort of accelerationist uh, uh, anxieties. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see that as a bit of a trend. You know, uh, people sort of thinking about. Uh, you know, ChatGPT with respect to GDPR uh, and, and vice versa. Um, this this thing was formed by hoovering up all kinds of data, you know, fam famously, right, by uh, folks who did not consent for it to be used that way. Certainly uh, was. And it sort of seems like we're starting to see some governments um, grappling with that, especially in Europe, uh, potentially putting on some regulatory pressure. I wonder if that's going to, you know, serve some of this, this, uh, speed bump role that uh, folks that's are calling a, for. That's a very interesting point. I, I'm, 
you know, I mean, it certainly makes sense that people all around the world, including certainly people who are doing so with in-house private data of all different kinds, are just dropping that thing into chat boxes right now and handing it off to APIs and kind of giving some commands and seeing what happens with it. And, and, you're no, and you're no doubt going to see, I mean, you know, I think you're already seeing organizational policies forming, right? Saying, actually, don't do that. Don't uh. actually <laughs> do this. Yeah, no, you're actually, yeah, yeah, no, you're seeing it. And uh, I, it certainly, it's going to be, you know, happening at, at, at law firms and other, you know, organizations with, you know, fiduciary responsibility for data privacy or early. Um, but yeah, you know, that's an interesting mechanic for a speed bump. Um, sharing data with the, you know, with the overmind is, uh, you know, is, is potentially a violation of all sorts of, you know, uh, existing legislation. It could be used to slow things down a little bit. Yeah. And I bring that up, I suppose, because I don't think that there's going to be sort of a like transnational kumbaya uh, chain of hands. Uh, everyone uh, agreeing that, hey, maybe we just need to slow down a little bit on this. No, I, don't, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think so. But I think sort of issue specific um uh, uh, issue specific speed bumps based on existing regulatory regimes like mm. GDPR uh, might play that role a little more effectively. And, and honestly, disruption. Uh, I mean, if I had to fall to an ethical, you know, into an ethical framework, the ethical framework, the unknown ethical risks of, you know, the X risk stuff, the AI will kill us all stuff is less moving than the who's going to care if AI kills us all if everybody's out of work by that time and the economy has collapsed and we're all living in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. You know, it, it's, you know, that stuff is much more uncool and much more present to me than the, you know, super intelligent AI will create diamond and nanobots and, you know, definitely, over. <laughs> definitely and fully agree. And I, I think that's a, a similar sort of thinking is behind uh, the Distributed AI Research Institute uh, or D.A.R.E. Uh, with folks like Timnit Gebru uh, and Emily Bender. Uh, you know, Who left were, Google, right? The, right, right. The or was, was fired from. Um, so they were cited very, very quickly as, as they often are. Their stochastic parrots paper in the, um, the, the Musk and Company <laughs> open letter. Um, but it was kind of a mis- citation uh and and they took uh some some umbrage to that and responded to it uh yes i saw i saw emily bender in in particular she's at the is at the university of washington that sounds right but i'm not 100 yeah. sure um but you know they, they take i think a view much like that that in sort of hyping up uh sort of singular singularitarian science fictional kind of standpoints we we allied a lot of the more near term risks uh which often aren't as like sexy but uh you know are much more practical <laughs> have much more direct bearing well, on you our, know, six months our next ago, six months are next ago, year they were they were very sexy right <laughs> <laughs> You know, six months ago, everybody was talking about how algorithms, just dumb algorithms, were going to completely distort democracy and change the face of, you know, world government. And now it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we're, on a, we're on a bunch of wilder stuff now. All right. So, um, on the other hand, AI was very useful this week for more than just, you know, me trying to get writing assignments done. Um, the... Uh, the company Socket, who make dependency scanning, have been hard at work integrating uh, large language models with their stuff. Uh, 
And they have just released Socket AI, a chat GPT-4 powered source code analysis system as a promotion, I guess, and as a, you know, as a public service. They've used Socket AI to examine every NPM and PyPy package. And they asked the AI to summarize its findings. In two days, they confirmed 227 new, you know, new and old vulnerabilities that persist in those code bases. Um, the system fingered code that accepts unsanitized user input, exposes coder credentials, uses eval, and uh, and does other dumb stuff, and also uh, obvious malware that steals user tokens, runs backdoors, and other nasty things. Cutest, or amazingest, is that the system apparently flags code, uh, or has flagged code, that was aimed to communicate with humans, including a section of code in one popular package that was commented saying it was collecting user information for purposes of submitting reports to bug bounty programs. The AI flagged this section as constituting a possible privacy risk. This is the kind of things humans need to adjudicate, of course, and then actually found a blocking operation in the code that suggested it might cause performance issues. So it found a, you know, um, uh, it, it, it correctly submitted this thing to human perusal. Is this, you know, is this really legit? Uh, and then found a technical problem with the code despite, you know, the fact. Um, Socket is nonetheless being very clear that the thing has limitations. It's not great at analyzing very large source code files because of ChatGPT4's limited context window. It struggles with highly obfuscated code. Uh, but they say, and not without reason, both these and other situations typically require human scrutiny anyway. So what they've done, it, you know, in the meantime, is engineered the the capability into their product as a recommender and created a user interface for people to accelerate reviews, um, which is very nice looking, by the way. Uh, the AI isn't itself making any critical decisions yet. So that was kind of cool. You know, this reminded me of another story, uh, not not AI related, actually. Uh, I saw that a, a study from sandworm.dev uh, saying that one in two new NPM packages is SEO spam as of right now. Uh, so they conducted a scan oh <laughs> and found that... Uh, Around fifty percent were of NPM packages were empty packages with just a README file that goes to some malicious website or, or, or links to uh, an oh ebook or something. Uh, wild, and I wonder how much of that crosses over <laughs> was picked up. By, well, uh, I mean, the, you know, you see it in YouTube mod. as well. The other night, I was looking for you know ways of improving my iPhone thirteen camera, and I clicked on a YouTube video thinking it was a tutorial, and it delivered me to. <laughs> Someplace I didn't want to be and told me about applications I didn't want to buy, right? So, right. you know. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of BS on the internet. and uh, I guess so. I think there's only going to be more <laughs> as, as these things become more automatable. That's right. Well, the overmind is out there now. <laughs> well, uh, we got uh, some, some final kind of quick hit stories for today. Uh, so last episode, we talked about the to-do surrounding Docker Inc.'s discontinuing of free teams. So we should note that in the company's own words, their, quote, reversing course. The about face was announced in a blog post entitled, we're no longer sunsetting the free team plan. Uh, the, the post by Docker CEO, Scott Johnston states, quote, after listening to feedback and consulting our community, it's clear that we made the wrong decision in sunsetting our free team plan. Last week, we felt our communications were terrible, but our policy was sound. It's now clear that both the communications and the policy were wrong, so we're reversing course and no longer sunsetting the free team plan, unquote. The post goes on to detail what happens for folks who have already initiated migrations, either to paid subscriptions or personal plans. Paid subscriptions are being refunded, while those who started moving to personal plans can stay put in their free team. And you can read more about that if it applies to you at docker.com slash blog. Wow. Well, good for them. 
I, I agree. And you have to appreciate the the clarity of uh, saying, well, we decided that the policy was wrong. Um, so uh, as I uh, <laughs> made sure to clarify uh, last episode, when we talked about this, uh, you know, we have, we have Marissa has a storied history with, with Docker Inc, but we are not them. <laughs> we, we just, uh, we just work together sometimes on projects uh, like Moby. We collaborate, but uh, uh, you know, they're a separate entity and to that separate entity, we would like to say, you know, kudos on that one. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and to oh, all those angry developers, we want to say again, we are not them. <laughs> um, indeed. Uh, elsewhere, in other news, Twitter nominally posted the algorithm on GitHub last week, revealing variables for post visibility, including author is Elon, author is Republican, and author is Democrat. Kind of kind of US centric there. Uh, and uh certain individual centric. Uh, once these details began to circulate widely, a force push quickly wiped them away. Not a Star Wars force push, a get force push, uh, leading to a very, shall we say, mirthful thread on the commit. We can only assume this is uh, the code now running in production uh, that, that lacks those variables. Uh, and I, many tutorials, <laughs> you know, the, one of the most shocking things was that the, the code actually contained, um, um, you know, a, a, a suppression order for posts about Ukraine. So it, it got that deep and that specific into content modification. Yeah. In, well, uh, actual open source news, uh, <laughs> like actual, <laughs> real open source projects, right. um, Bloomberg announced a sponsorship of the Curl project to the tune of 10,000 USD. Uh, and kind of going back to or <laughs> talking about that bug bounty, some online commentators felt this was sort of small change, but I can only think it's healthy for companies to provide this kind of support for totally foundational tools. Uh, and if more did so, it would add up quickly. So kudos to Bloomberg. And uh, finally, I spotted a cool article on the Knative blog by University of Alberta grad student uh, Navinaj Mutharaj walking through deployment of Knative serving to K0s. This imagines a setting where you might be running K0s for lightweight Kubernetes on an edge node where you're deploying quite lightweight Knative workloads uh, and is a, a very crisp and clear walkthrough, uh, easy to follow. So uh, well done on that. It's a great write-up and uh, definitely recommend it to anyone out there playing around with Knative, playing around with K0s. Maybe want to mix the flavors put all those k's together absolutely well do you have anything else today john nope that's it for me i'm gonna go you know back and see what ai x-risk news has emerged in the last half hour <laughs> i'm sure you'll find something uh, <laughs> uh and while he's doing that take care everyone have a wonderful one and we'll uh, see you in two weeks thanks for listening bye everyone